This edition of Monocle on Saturday was first broadcast on the 4th of November 2023. It's 1700 in Beijing, 11am in Kiev, 9am here in London and 5am in Washington DC. You're listening to Monocle Radio. Monocle on Saturday starts now. I'm Georgina Godwin, broadcasting to you live from Midori House in London. This is Monocle on Saturday. Coming up on today's programme, we'll have a leaf through the global papers with the journalist from the Sydney Morning Herald, that's Latika Burke. And then... He was born in the club, that's why it was called Club to Club. It's like it was the result of an amazing club scene happening in Torino at the time. I always say this, it's an Italian best-kept secret. The founder of Italy's Sea to Sea Festival gives Monocle's Robert Bound the inside scoop on what can be expected from this year's edition. And finally, Michael Moore, the co-founder of the award-winning vegan cheese company Honestly Tasty, will be in the studio to share their upcoming Christmas range. First, though, here's the news. An Israeli airstrike on an ambulance being used to evacuate the wounded from besieged northern Gaza killed 15 people and injured 60 others on Friday, the Hamas-controlled health ministry said. Israel's military said it had identified and hit an ambulance being used by a Hamas terrorist cell. On a visit to the region, US Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Friday and called for a humanitarian pause in fighting that he said would facilitate work to release hostages, allow aid into Gaza but not prevent Israel from defending itself. At least 128 people were killed and dozens injured in Nepal when a strong earthquake struck the western area of Jajakot, officials said today, as houses in the area collapsed and buildings as far away as New Delhi in neighbouring India shook. Officials feared the death toll in Friday's quake could rise as they'd not been able to establish contact in the hilly area near the epicentre, some 500 kilometres west of the capital Kathmandu, where tremors were also felt. The district has a population of 190,000, with villages scattered in remote hills. And Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida said today his country, the Philippines and the United States are cooperating to protect the freedom of the South China Sea as he committed to help enhance Manila's security capabilities. Kishida and President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. agreed on Friday to start negotiations on a reciprocal troop access deal to strengthen military cooperation as China becomes increasingly assertive in the region. And that's your Monocle Radio News. Hello and welcome to Monocle on Saturday. I'm Georgina Godwin and I'm joined in the studio by Latika Burke. Good morning to you, Latika. Good morning, Georgina. Now, we've been talking about news and how we both are obviously (laughs) obsessed by the news, really, by dint of our jobs. We watch news, we read news, we uh, are consumed by news and are consumers of news. It's become almost too difficult to watch Yes, so <clears throat> was particularly struck last night, um, Georgina, by this very, very evocative image taken by Reuters photographer of Anthony Blinken, the US Secretary of State. And his face just captured what I think 
we all feel and particularly what the policymakers who are trying to resolve this issue and stop it from escalating must be going through. This sheer stress, this sheer fatigue, this sheer anguish about just how dangerous and how rocky the political uh, situation is and also how volatile I think it is in our societies. And uh, Anthony Blinken last night was leaving Israel. Many of the reports say empty-handed because he went to try and plead with Benjamin Netanyahu to carry out some pauses uh, on the bombardment of the Gaza Strip to allow perhaps the release of some of the hostages. Some 200 Israelis are still being held captive by Hamas terrorists since October 7. Um, Now, that was unsuccessful because Netanyahu says he will keep going until Hamas releases those hostages. So we really don't see any uh, breakthrough in terms of de-escalating this conflict between Israel and uh, Hamas in Gaza, uh, despite the United States, Israel's closest allies, uh, big, big uh, attempt here or latest attempt. Blinken this morning arrives in, uh, he holds talks today in Jordan. He arrived there late last night. And the King of Jordan has a very interesting, and I think key role to play here, but Jordan has taken an extremely firm line with Israel. Uh, Late last week, they recalled their ambassador from Israel and, uh, of course, the last time when um, a a US official, uh, no less than the US President Joe Biden, was visiting Israel, they cancelled a planned Arab peace summit uh, because uh, of Israel's uh, latest move. And, And that time it was the a bombing of a hospital in Gaza, which initially was attributed to Israel and Israel later came out and said, we didn't do it, it was a Hamas rocket that, that didn't land properly. So you can just see how uh, volatile I think the situation is and also how minute by minute things can change. Absolutely. And so we're awaiting a readout of Blinken's meetings in Jordan today and doubtless yes. we'll be reporting this uh, tomorrow <laughs> and on Monday. There is one story that is absolutely dominating Australia's media, though. Tell us about the mushroom poisoning case. Yeah, look, no one can take their eyes off this case. Um, It is absolutely extraordinary and ticks many boxes in terms of what I think uh, really grips a nation, and I think in this case uh, a world's imagination when it comes to true crime. So we have this case of Erin Patterson, a 49-year-old Victorian woman, Now, she is alleged to have murdered three people, her uh, in-laws and uh, the sister of her in-laws, with a meal of mushrooms, death cat mushrooms. And this... Uh, has this this meal took place in July and she was only charged a couple of months ago. More sensationally, last week she was charged with trying to murder her estranged partner, uh, the son of her in-laws, uh, who are now dead, um, up to four times by lacing meals with magic, uh, sorry, not magic, uh, with death cat mushrooms. Now, Erin Patterson denies this. She says that she bought these mushrooms at an Asian grocery store, mixed them up into a beef wellington dish, and served this meal, and she herself ate some of this and was sick herself. Now, she didn't die. She was given a proper liver treatment in time, so she was okay. Now, her husband was uh, supposed, her partner was supposed to be at this meal, was not, um, and so he did not die. Uh, But police subsequently came back and charged her with counts of trying to murder him previously. So 
This has all unfolded in a tiny, tiny, tiny rural community in Victoria. It's a town of 6,000 people. So, Georgina, you can imagine how this news has just ricocheted through this town. And, of course, a town of that size, I grew up in a small country town, but much bigger, 40,000 people. When you're getting to 6,000, everyone really does know everyone. (laughs) And everyone's either related or friends or or knows uh, someone in some way. So... This has really affected the community to the point where the local pub has now had to take their mushroom fettuccine off the menu (laughs) because people are so concerned about this word mushroom. It's become so stigmatised and the worry about that. So it's an absolutely sensational case. Last week, police... Uh, got some dogs from Queensland to come down and sniff across her property. Now, you hear that and you think instantly, oh, they're looking for a dead body, right? You think cadaver dogs. Not so, Georgina. Did you know that dogs can be trained to sniff out electrical equipment, i.e. things like USBs, laptops, uh, things you might connect to the internet with? Well, that's what these dogs were um, brought down from Queensland to come and sniff out. And uh, I have learned this week that actually your electronic devices emit odours that these dogs can detect. Yes. So there you go. A couple of revelations for us all. So what were they looking for? Like a food liquidizer or something? Well, interesting you ask that question because separate to this, uh, first I'll answer that one, and, and they're basically looking for things like laptops and computer equipment. Um, but there is a an associated issue here of a food dehydrator and... Erin uh, Patterson has admitted to throwing a food dehydrator into a tip, which police have subsequent, subsequently found. Now, they have not released to the media any details about what results of any forensic tests they have carried out on that food dehydrator. But that is very important to this case because these death cat mushrooms were dried. Erin Patterson says she bought them from an Asian grocery store, dried and mixed them up, rehydrated them and, and mixed them up with button mushrooms for this beef wellington. Well, what then was she disposing the food dehydrator for? Why did it go into a tip immediately Mm. after these first suspicions were raised about whether perhaps she had actually uh, allegedly deliberately laced this meal with with the death cap mushrooms? So there's quite a few things to look at here. Now, it's about 20 weeks that police have asked um, for to go through all the electronic devices now and uh, do the digital forensics on them. So a lot of time between now and then until Erin Patterson's next court appearance. But I can pretty much assure you, Georgina, this is not the last that anyone in Australia and I think around the world will be hearing of this story because Mm. it's absolutely gripped everybody. And this is the kind of story I think that will go on to be the subject of true crime podcasts and maybe even a miniseries one day. Of course, not at all trying to... um, uh, undermine or or demean the the serious tragedy that is three people have died just eating a lunch. Let's stay with uh, Australia, Australia and China now, because Anthony Albanese arrives in China today. He's the first Australian Prime Minister to visit in seven years. Yep, and this is a big breakthrough for Australia. Depending on what side or what aspect you apply to the China relationship, uh, not just between China and Australia, but all around the world, uh, there's several ways to look at this. From the government's perspective, they see this as a huge coup. 
Uh, Australia-China relations reached a nadir under the former Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, who called for an inquiry into the origins of COVID. And even at one point, Georgina uh, suggested sending in UN-style weapons inspectors to go into Wuhan and, and have a look and seize the evidence that they believe China would never willingly hand over to, say, investigators from the WHO, which we know did have its own problems in trying to obtain uh, data from, from the Chinese. Now, this did not go down well with China, and it came after a long string of deteriorating relations, mainly because Australia was taking uh, decisions it said were in its national interest, things like banning Huawei from uh, building in the 5G network, building in the broadband network, and China was very unhappy about this and also very unhappy that Australia was lobbying other like-minded countries to follow suit, including the UK. So China then slapped huge tariffs on Australian goods, things like coal, things like barley, things like wine. These tariffs were 200% in the case of wine, which is just staggering. And that industry overnight lost a billion in one year. So really huge consequences for Australians who are just trying to make a bottle of wine and make a buck. Um, Over the course of the Anthony Albanese government, it's a centre-left government, a Labor government. It was elected in May 2022. Uh, The Chinese have begun to pick the phone back up. Now, before when the former Liberal government was in power, they would just ignore calls from Australian officials, from Australian diplomats, from the Prime Minister himself. And uh, Australia always said, we're, we're happy to talk, we're trying to talk, they just won't answer the phone. And we know that that's also happened with the United States mm. as well. So that is something that the Chinese have formed in. Not so with Labor. The Chinese have been very uh, much um, uh, more responsive to the Labor Party in Australia. They have picked up the phone, they've resumed dialogue, they've lifted some of those tariffs, not all, but some. Uh, but that also came after uh, preliminary WTO investigations came down probably on Australia's side and then we gave China some room to lift those tariffs before the WTO made its rulings. So we are likely to see some more of those tariffs lifted during Anthony Albanese's trip and he has said himself that this was timed to coincide with the first visit by Labor Prime Minister Gough Whitlam 50 years ago. Uh, So you can see there's that historical link that he wants to draw. But if you come from a China hawkish perspective, there's a, a lot of reasons why this trip either should not have gone ahead or that Australia needs to be very judicious in the way it perceives how this trip is being played out. Um, I bailed up the former Prime Minister Scott Morrison here in London this week, Georgina, and asked him about it. And he said, look, I don't really have a view whether or not uh, Anthony Albanese should be making this trip. But one thing I will say is that just be careful about how the Chinese will use this trip for propaganda purposes and that we could actually be the ones that are getting played here. So that was warning shot number one. The other thing to keep in mind is that this has also uh, followed concessions from both sides. The Chinese recently released a Chinese-Australian journalist, Chen Li, from custody. She'd been detained for two years. That was a very big breakthrough indeed and uh, very well done, um, very good diplomacy work from the Australian side to, to get that release. But on the other hand, uh, the port of Darwin, which was... I think accidentally, or Australia was napping when this was leased to uh, Beijing for 100 years, that was up for review. And the Australian Labor government has decided to continue with leasing that to Beijing. So that's very controversial in Mm -hmm. itself. And a lot of people think that perhaps we have given away too many things to secure this visit. Nevertheless, I think everybody agrees that it is better to be talking to China than not. 
and that visits are better than no human contact at all. But it is also notable, Georgina, that Xi Jinping has held court for so many world leaders in Beijing. How many times has Xi Jinping gone abroad and visited people in their other countries? He has the ability and the power to pull every world leader to him. And I don't think that should go unsaid either. Absolutely. Uh, And there's an interesting cross-section between this story and one that we've been, we released this week on our big interview series, uh, because I interviewed the Chinese dissident artist whose name I am going to mangle, (laughs) Bajukai, but he is called Buddy in in Australia. So he lives in Australia, but he is Chinese and he makes this stunning artwork, which is a criticism of the authoritarian government in China. Um, I interviewed him, but I know that you've also interviewed him. Yes, I can't wait to listen to this interview, Georgina. Uh, Buddy is a very intelligent guy. He uh, moved from China when he was a student. He came to study in Australia and says that really his eyes were very uh, opened once he realised the extent of repression in China, and particularly for someone who's artistic and creative, uh, the ability to have free expression for him was was never something in China. And he comes from an artistic family. So um, he and I first caught up in Poland earlier this year, actually. I've been following him on uh, social media for a long time, and his work is extremely striking. It's extremely provocative and it's controversial, as an activist's work would be. And uh, when I met him in Poland, he was just setting up his exhibition there at the Contemporary Art Museum. And uh, the Chinese had just come knocking, demanding that this um, art museum uh, shut down this exhibition uh, because it was making links, of course, between Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin as two dictators uh, who were delighting in the repression of children and, and free people. And, of course, uh, to the um, Polish uh, art gallery's credit, they did not shut this exhibition down. And even, I think, uh, further, it it drew quite a crowd. Um, the Australian ambassador to Poland was one of the attendees on opening night and I thought that was a really nice symbol of support. Yeah. Well, you can listen to that uh, interview, my interview with Buddy on uh, The Big Interview. Uh, and if you just go to our website, it's there. It's also all over Twitter and LinkedIn and all of our it's socials. On my list for today, Georgina. Excellent. On my list. Now, listen, I hope you're very excited because we're going to be tasting some new vegan cheese from the award-winning Honestly Tasty. But first... We head to Turin for the 21st year of the Sea to Sea Festival, previously known as Club to Club, which is in full swing this weekend. Since the early noughties, Sea to Sea has been setting the musical agenda in Italy, showcasing cutting-edge artists both from Italy and from around the globe. Well, ahead of the festival, Sea to Sea founder Sergio Riccardoni uh, stopped by Midori House. He spoke to Monocle's Robert Bound about what can be expected from this year's edition. The festival is now 21 years old. We should add two years during the pandemic. We did two, like, uh, let's say, alternative editions of the festival during the pandemic. And it was born in Torino at the early zeros. It was born in the club. That's why it was called Club to Club. It's like it was the result of an amazing club scene happening in Torino at the time. And during these two decades, the festival has grown. It's become another 
kind of festival. It's an indoor urban festival. I always say this, it's an Italian best-kept secret. Having enjoyed the festival myself, we did a culture show there, Monocle on Culture there a few years back. And we had a wonderful time, wonderful hospitality. People might imagine that northern Italy in November, it's not Barcelona in June. So what is the unique thing that Turin gives and C2C can give? Because it really does feel like an appendage of the city. Yeah, it's a totally different experience to outdoor festivals. It's uh, not a summer festival, it's an autumn festival, indoor, in an amazing venue, in an amazing city with amazing architecture, amazing food, amazing people. And what you experience is really like a trip in the world of music and also contemporary arts, because this is the week of Torino Contemporary Art, that is one of the most important culture weeks in Italy. So, I mean, it's completely different experience, but I guess it's better. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think it's a great thing to have been out at night and then see the art fair and, and all the exhibitions and all the, the galleries put on their best, yeah. brightest plumage in Turin during that week as well. It's a beguiling experience. I mean, I hate to say this, I'm going to say it, there is never a dull moment. It's just difficult to know when you get to sleep. But we'll figure that, we'll let listeners and visitors figure that out for themselves. In the afternoon. Okay, thanks. That's a tip from the top. <laughs> And you mentioned the mixing of how Club to Clubs become C to C and how it's mixed with Artissima, the art fair and, and the art week. How does it do that? I mean, the people that are interested in the music we are promoting are also interested in the contemporary art scene. People are really enthusiastic about experiences, the festival, and at the same time, the contemporary art world. And the, as I say, the, the amazing architecture of the city, it's really like a full experience. It's really quality of life. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's wonderful stuff. You mentioned the food and drink. I know this is sort of, this is an occupational hazard being in Turin at that time of the year. I can smell re chestnuts roasting on an open fire. It's a remix of Nat King Cole, I think, maybe. <laughs> it's truffle season, all these things. Yeah. These, these topics of conversation, the, the things I'm mentioning, may sound a million miles away from experimental music, alternative music, dance floor music, and all the rest of it. But you seem to envelop them into your broad embrace. So tell us about that, a little bit of the food and drink scene, how that folds into it, and how that can become part of something that started off as a, as a music festival. It's the best time of the year for uh, our local food and uh, Torino is quite famous for that. It's one of the best seasonal foods worldwide. We had amazing restaurants that can really like be top level compared to other restaurants in uh, Italy. Um, and I want to take it back to the music, Sergio, because any successful festival starts off as just stuff on stage and, and it starts with the acts. But it soon becomes a sort of meeting ground and a fertile spot for new music to come out of it. And often specific genres grow out of really successful festivals and meetings of minds and, and stuff like that. Has that been the case with C2C? I'm sure you must have visitors from all over the world. It becomes a, it becomes a talking shop and a place of conversations rather than just people rocking up for a party. Totally. I mean, 25% of the people come from uh, outside Italy, and the rest is uh, mainly from the main cities of Italy. And they like to come to the festival because they can find new names together with uh, established artists. They are really amazing. What we like to say is that what we try to investigate is the 
conjunction between avant-garde and new pop. This is what you can find at the festival. This is something that we've been investigating in the recent years, and most of the people like this attitude and uh, this contrast, and uh, this is what's going to happen also tonight with King Cruel, Flying Lotus, and other amazing artists at the festival. And that was C2C founder Sergio Riccadoni in conversation with Monocle's Robert Bound. And to get a flavour of the festival, C2C is releasing a book called We Call It Avant Pop. It's coming out at the end of the month and you know exactly what to do if you're at a loose end in Turin this evening. Now... Honestly Tasty have been making vegan cheese since 2018, leading to an award-winning blue cheese. They now offer a range of cheese alternatives, aiming to change behaviour and perceptions towards plant-based diets. Co-founder Michael Moore is here in the studio with me, and he's brought his Christmas range. We're very excited. Both Latika and I cannot wait to taste your <laughs> vegan cheese. Uh, so welcome, Mike. Oh, thanks very much. Great, great to be here. Tell us then about the development of your company. What made you start it and how it's developed? Uh, So effectively, I went vegan myself in 2018 and thought that there would be options out there. Um, You know, searched around supermarkets, little independent stores and kind of realised that there was a real gap in the market. Um, So I went about researching what was available, how to make kind of existing vegan cheeses, whether that's with nuts or other methods, um, and started on a journey of of trying to make my own. Uh, So effectively, a little investigative trip to Berlin um, and then a lot of experience. Uh, and finally ended up with the the blue cheese. Uh, you don't come from a cheese making background, though. Uh, no, 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 not at all. I I was actually doing banking before this, so I uh, I kind of saw the light and thought I you know I, d- I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life, and and thought yeah I'd try my hand at being a vegan cheesemaker. Not oh, yeah. fantastic. So how do you make your vegan cheese? So we try and mimic the dairy making process as as closely as possible, just to kind of bring the tastes and textures that people are familiar with. Uh, so that includes, you know, pasteurising our ingredients, uh, and then we culture them. So if that's the blue cheese, you've got the mould cultures as, as well as the kind of uh, mesophilic cultures. Um, if it's non uh, non mould ripened, then we have the generic cultures that we add to it, and then we mature it for anything from two days up to four weeks. So it kind of develops those flavours. What's the, what's the base ingredient though? So it it differs depending on which cheese it is effectively so uh, you've usually got some sort of starch in there so whether that's tapioca starch from the cassava plant or potato starch and then alongside that you've got some sort of plant-based fat so whether that's coconut fat shea butter rice bran oil um, and then of course you've got a little extra things to give it taste like miso uh, onion powder etc so Christmas is yes. a time uh, traditionally when a lot of cheese is consumed uh, and it's no different for vegan cheese. Your market just expands at Christmas time and you're taking advantage of that. You've got a, a couple of special Christmas selections. Yeah, absolutely. Christmas is a, a crazy time for us. Uh, you know, everyone loves to get around a cheese board with their family and friends. Uh, and we this year are including three new cheeses in our uh, seasonal selections. Uh, so we've got four different uh, collections available on our website and they include all of them include uh, the smoked cheese that we're bringing out for this Christmas we've got a lemon and dill spread so that's something which would really complement something like a faux salmon uh, and then finally we've got a, a cranberry uh, kind of we call it a pretensely dale uh, so <laughs> you know always trying to get in there with the word play um, but those are the three that we've, we've got here today. Excellent. Latika shall we taste the smoked one first? 
I'm excited about this. Yeah. So because um, cheese, is, Georgina, is the one reason I can't be vegan. <laughs> so I've I've been waiting for for the cheese renaissance. Well, there you go. Let's see what let's see what we can do for you. Uh, that's just... looking great. I'm just going to have mine without a cracker. I'm just going to lean oh. across and greedily okay. stuff it in my okay. mouth. Do you like chutney? Or... I'm going um, to. I'll try it without first. Try it without I'm first. just going to. Okay. So it looks very creamy. Uh, it feels like cheese. And it uh... certainly looks like cheese, doesn't it? Mm. And it tastes like cheese. It's great. I like that. You've got that distinct smoky flavour. That's mm. very much coming through. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. What we've tried to go for with this one is something which is it's got a bite to it but it's not completely firm it's kind of a you know an a young gouda type thing you know if we left it for a few more a couple more weeks it would become a lot firmer um but but yeah so we, we're really proud of this one it's only a short mature cheese it, it doesn't uh, take long what's your verdict on that one i do like it but vegan cheese always has this there's something in the taste that's not quite cheesy can you taste that is it coconut oil or we have what's the fat that you use so we do use coconut oil in in that one um uh often <coughs> there are there are kind of there is something which a lot of vegan cheeses use which is a butric um it's type a type of flavoring and often that is associated with the kind of vegan cheese taste mm. um we don't we don't have any any kind of butric flavors in any of these um so hopefully we are trying to steer away from that but in terms of of mouthfeel and things like that the coconut oil will will kind of help it mm. it's something which is it's really versatile and useful as an ingredient because it's got the firmness and it helps with the meltability um but but yeah so what was the name again of this lovely cranberry cram- <laughs> one? The Pretensley Dale. <laughs> the Pretensley Dale. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm having a mouthful of the Pretensley Dale. Right, load me up on the Pretensley mm. Dale. I, I don't dislike it, I must say. Mm. But it does taste still slightly different to cheats, don't you think? Well, and I guess that's the thing, is that you can never... Thank you. I mean, you know, if one's... I, I'm, I'm often surprised by vegans wanting to eat things that look like meat, for instance. Um, yeah, I think I, it's an alternative, isn't it? It's yeah, not, never going to be the same. No, I think I think so much of it is just because you know food is so rooted in you know childhood and you know shared experiences. People are looking for something which is familiar to them, mm. um, and I think this is this is kind of what we're what we're trying to yeah. achieve and, and give people. Right. So this this to me cracks it. It doesn't have any different sort of taste. It just tastes like cheese. Nice. Well, that's so exactly you're, how you you're for it. the you're for the cranberry. Nice. So I, I am going to try this dip one now. Just talk us through this while I munch it. So this is a very lemony. Um, so it is kind of a sweet spread, and it's very much to be yeah complemented by something uh, maybe smoky and salty. Um, you, could, you could see it on a blini or something, couldn't you? Yeah, per- like that's mm. the kind of perfect use for it. So. Mm. And what's in this? Uh, so this one has some lemon and dill in it. Um, so in terms of the main other ingredients, you've got uh, some potato starch, you've got some coconut oil, and you have the cultures as well, obviously, which kind of help it develop a bit of a um, lactic kind of flavour. Really nice. So how can our listeners get to taste these for themselves? Yeah, so they can go to our website, which is www.honestlytasty.co.uk. Um, and they can find a uh, a whole range of selections there and then also get to try some of our other award-winning products. Yum, Mike, thank you. This is divine. It's great, I love this Me too. I think we're going to have to shut the programme now so that we can (laughs) stop all the rest of this.
Michael Moore, thank you very much from Honestly Tasty. Uh, that's all from uh, this edition of Monocle on Saturday. Thanks to our producer and studio engineer, Mariella Bevan, and of course my lovely guest, Latika Burke, as well as Michael Moore. And Monocle on Saturday will return at the same time next weekend. I'm Georgina Godwin. Thank you for listening.